This scripture reading is from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What could this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. The word of the Lord. Um, I have seen some beautiful things uh, in my lifetime. Um, I have seen uh, the Swiss Alps, driven through them, beautiful. I feel like you're in a postcard. Um, I have camped under the stars in uh, Silver City, New Mexico, where the sky at night seems more like a white canvas with little breaks of stars in between. Um, I have seen uh, beautiful things, but none of them are more beautiful than a data visualization. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Try to set that up real good. This is a data visualization of cross-references in the Bible. What is, cross-reference is not a reference to a cross, just to be clear. But it's, if you'll see the white lines at the baseline, those are all the individual chapters of every book in the Bible. And the lines connecting them are the lines of references between books and chapters in the Bible. This is not a collection of individual stories that happen to just... Um, talk about a few of the same characters, every chapter, every verse of the Bible is woven together intricately. Um, this was put together uh, by a data analyst who the, the brighter colors are the distances, the, the darker colors means that they're, they're closer references to each other. But these, the scriptures, they reach forward and they reach back. Genesis reaches into Revelation, and Revelation reaches back into Genesis and everything in between. Uh, this is important for us to understand that as we look through the scripture today, that the Holy Spirit isn't just a blip on the radar of the biblical story. I intend to show you today that it, the, the story of the Holy Spirit looks a lot like this, actually. 
from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, Last Sunday after church, we started talking about the history of these two churches, and I opened with a quote from Michael Crichton that says, "Um, the person who doesn't know history knows nothing. They are like a leaf that doesn't know it's connected to a tree. To to consider the tree is to find our place in the story, that we are connected to something bigger. And I believe as we move through the whole book of Acts that we're going to find our place in the story that God is writing. And this is going to be for us like fresh wind and fresh fire uh, for our life of faith. So let's answer this question. We have talked a little bit about the Holy Spirit. Let's dive a little bit deeper into who the Holy Spirit is, just briefly. Uh, First of all, the Holy Spirit is God the Spirit. Um, He is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit isn't a feeling even, though you can feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is not a feeling. He, He is not an it. The Spirit is a who, a person. Um, These are just important foundational things. This is not comprehensive in any case, but these are the important building blocks for us to hold as we move through. Now, what we're going to do today in the spirit of the history that I've been steeped in, I'd like to just offer you a brief history of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to pull from certain scriptures. You don't have to turn to them. I'm going to read them for you. And we're going to look at who the Holy Spirit is throughout time. Right in the beginning, in Genesis 1, it says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That word hovering is a really beautiful word. It means moving gently, uh, 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 kind of uh, swerving over, if you would. Uh, One translation could even be brooding, not in the sense of like a broody chicken, Uh, If you've ever messed with a broody chicken, you don't mess with a broody chicken, right? Brooding in the sense of nurturing. Uh, We see that the Holy Spirit is a part of the creative act. Um, Can't read my slide here. Whoops. That he is creating, the Spirit is creating. The breath of life is breathed by God into the first humans. The word for spirit is... And breath and wind are the same word in Hebrew and in Greek, the main languages of the Bible. Of the Bible. Uh, and so there's this intentional uh, imagery that we are meant to see, breath and wind and spirit. And what we see that by putting God breathe into humanity's nostrils, giving us the breath of life, that the intention was all time to be close with us, to be in fellowship, relationship uh, with us. Then, as the time goes on, we find the first instance of sin entering into humanity. Uh, Betrayal happened when humanity turned from God to their own ways. And we see for the first time, instead of seeking out the presence of God or being in the presence of God, we see them first hiding from the presence of God. It is the reversal of how it ought to be, where it says that God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the imagery in the Hebrew is, is, again, like a breeze blowing through in the garden in the cool of the day. And where once humanity would have ran to God, now humanity hides from the presence of God. 
And this is the moment where the plan of redemption went into motion. Next, we see, we skip ahead and we find uh, the cloud and fire leading uh, Israel. Let me read you the verse. And this is after Israel was brought, delivered up out of Egypt. They had to find their way to the promised land. And it says this in Exodus 13. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart before the people. The presence of God leading them now. And how did the presence, uh, was, how was the presence manifested in cloud and fire? You with me? Can you imagine walking through the desert and seeing this cloud leading you and at night a fire leading you? Uh, what a sight that must have been. We skip ahead a little bit. The Israelites are still in, wandering in the desert and we come to the passage that was read for us today where uh, the, Moses is trying to be like the leader for everybody. He's trying to do everything himself and there's just too many. So the Lord, uh, actually his father-in-law gave him a suggestion, one of the few times father-in-law's advice are helpful. Uh, he's, <laughs> don't tell your dad I said that. He says, Moses, you need some help here. You need to appoint some trusted leaders. And so uh, the Lord says, this is good advice, appoint some trusted leaders. And he says, I will put a portion of my spirit on them. So gather them, I'll put my spirit on them. So Moses went out and told the people. Then the Lord came down and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. There's a part that we didn't read. And a young man ran and told Moses, there's these two guys, Eldad and Medad, two of those 70 elders, and they're going about and they're prophesying in the camp. So Joshua comes to Moses and says, Moses, whoa, this is not authorized. They can't do this. Stop them. And Moses lets out this refrain. Are you jealous for my sake? Oh, but that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on all of them. An interesting verse. We move forward. We see in Judges, in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, and this period of Israel's history, uh, texts that when the Spirit of the Lord comes, the Spirit rests on individuals. In Judges, for example, the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, came upon Gideon for a specific purpose to defeat an enemy army. In 1 Samuel, we see the, that Samuel took, this is 1 Samuel 16, by the way, if you want all these scriptures, I'm happy to give them to you after the service. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. The Spirit came upon individuals for specific tasks in history. Then we move on, and there comes this turning point in prophecies from Ezekiel. We spoke not too long ago from the Valley of Dry Bones. This is, let me remind you of what is in that prophecy that Ezekiel penned for us. He said, and I will give you, the Lord says to us through Ezekiel's hand, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. 
Ezekiel wasn't the only prophet who spoke of this. Also in Joel, that Peter will cite later in Acts chapter 2. The Lord says, And it shall come to pass in those days that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit." Quite a trajectory so far. And then we get to Luke. The angel appears to Mary and tells her, Mary, you're going to give birth to the Messiah. The the long-awaited Messiah is going to be your son. And Mary's like, I don't know how this is possible. I haven't known any man. I'm not married. I'm engaged. Uh, I haven't been with any man. And and the angel says, "Uh, do not worry, Mary. Do not be afraid the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. Again, that imagery of coming and covering over. Um, Then in the life of Jesus, when he goes to be baptized, it says this, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he came up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Just so you know, too, this is one of the foundational texts for, where, for our theology about the Trinity. We see here Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And doesn't the Holy Spirit seem to you to be strong but gentle, coming like a dove, sometimes like a rushing wind and a fire, uh, always coming to rest when the Spirit comes? And Jesus in his ministry spoke about the Spirit. In fact, he, oh, sorry, when he came out of the wilderness, when he had been tempted in the wilderness for 40 days, in Luke chapter four it says, and uh, he went out in the power of the Spirit, and that's when his ministry began. And in that ministry, he talked about the Holy Spirit. He talks about him as the one whom I will send. Let me read you these texts from John. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, Jesus says. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. We talked about this in Bible study. Let me just put the question before you. Would you rather have Jesus right next to you or the spirit within you? Which would be better for you? Which would you like more? I would love to have Jesus right here. Anybody else with me? I would just think that's great. I would be like the disciples, no, 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 don't go, Jesus. I would really like, I would love to be able to just look at you and ask you, hey, what do you think? What should I do in this situation? Or instead of, instead of just praying, just look to you and say, Jesus, could you help me here? I would love that. But Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He goes on, uh, uh, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you that things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus calls him the helper, 
the spirit of truth. He says that he will always speak of Christ, that he will guide, that he will glorify Christ. That's one of the ways you can tell where the spirit of God is at work, is the name of Jesus being exalted. It's the name of Jesus being lifted up. This is what the Holy Spirit does. And he convicts us of sin so that we can walk in repentance and find this new life in Christ. And then we get to Acts chapter 2, where wind and fire shows up. The sound of a rushing wind. Let me read it to you again. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, we'll talk next week about what Pentecost is. Uh, when they were all together in one place and suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire separated and rested on each of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages as the Spirit enabled them. Here is wind, just like in creation. Here is fire, just like in Exodus. Also, the imagery in the Old Testament of fire is that it is purifying. And again, the Holy Spirit rests, and signs and wonders begin to happen. Paul goes on, and he talks in Romans 8. He says that, uh, let me read it for you. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if, it, if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, that is to say, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That this gift of the Holy Spirit, this promise is a gift that we receive. And it's a future hope. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies but it is also a present relationship and a present promise. He's with us now, and by him, we can cry, Abba, Father. And the last, well, second to last little point on our timeline. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says this, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. This is the fundamental element of Christian unity, that we are together by one spirit. And here's the last uh, point on our timeline today. In Acts 29, it says that the Holy Spirit wrought with power. If you know your Bible or you're looking at your Bible now, there is no Acts 29. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. The work of God became powerful and universal arresting attention and suspending ordinary business that weekdays were like the Sabbath, a powerful work of grace when God's presence was manifest and the Holy Spirit wrought with power upon the hearts and consciousnesses of men. Robert Fletcher wrote a brief history of Hanover Center and Etna, and this he wrote about what happened here in our, among our two churches. Um, the work of the Holy Spirit has not ceased. We are leaves 
on a big tree of history. And as we move through the book of Acts, my encouragement, my aim with you this morning has been to show you the tree so that we are not talking again about some blip on a radar, but this is a very story, a big story of redemption that the Lord has been writing from the very beginning. And what's he doing? God is bringing us back to Eden where he walks with us and he talks with us and he tells us that we are his own and the joy that we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. That is what the Holy Spirit is doing. And as we come to faith in Christ, uh, the Spirit of God, Jesus says, he speaks of it as this way. He doesn't say the Spirit invades. He doesn't say the Spirit kicks down the door and charges in. He said the Spirit comes and makes us home, comes and rests, comes and guides and speaks. He's wind and fire. He's dove. He's water. He's anointing oil. These are the images of who the Spirit is. Let me just uh, draw a few conclusions. Again, not comprehensive, but just for today. The Holy Spirit comes to make much of Jesus. If this is who the Holy Spirit is, and this is what the Holy Spirit does, then you and I should consider our place in this story and realize these things, that at, when the Spirit comes, he comes to make much of Jesus. Second, the Holy Spirit resides in those who put their faith in Jesus. Those who say, Lord, you are my Lord. I will wait for you. I'm, I'm, I'm following it in your ways. The first Christians weren't called Christians. They were called people of the way with a capital W because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. These are the people to whom the Spirit comes. Three, the Holy Spirit brings the wonder-working power of God in our lives. Hope that goes beyond all things, wonders that can't be explained. And fourth, it is a beautiful privilege to make room in our hearts for the Spirit's work. Again, if this is who the Holy Spirit is, if this is what he does, it is, the, it is a, a, a beautiful thing to say to God, I, I want more of your Spirit's work in my life. Search me, O God, and know me. Test my heart, test my anxious thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the path of everlasting life. Psalm 139. This is the work of the Spirit. This is the promise that God has given us. This is the promise that Jesus spoke about and said to the disciples, I know you want to run out and tell everybody that I'm alive, and I know you want to go and spread this good gospel, light gospel throughout the whole earth, but don't go yet. Wait. Wait for the promise of the Father. For when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he will come with power and empower you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the other parts of the earth. Let's pray.